Well, we're in a two-week series that is a, kind of unusual just to do two weeks, and it's called Use Me. Quite simply, two words, God, use me. And the reason we're doing this series is we're heading here into Easter, right? It's, uh, this coming Sunday is Easter, and what we're saying to God is we want to be available for you to do through us what you need to do in reaching people. And we talked about there's so many opportunities for us to to um, invite people into the church, and we could just say, well, why don't we just do, you know, just do more Facebook advertising? Let's do another big event. Let's uh, let's do a mailer. Let's do a TV commercial. Let's let's just get the word out there and see how many people we can have come for Easter because everybody comes for Easter. But the way that I believe is really at the heart of Jesus, there's nothing wrong with those things. But it, I think there is something wrong if that's the only way that people come into relationship with the church and and and, and to know Christ. At the heart of it is us. For us to say, God, use me. And we talked about two two parts. One last week, one this one. The first one is, God, use me to invest in someone's life. Right? When we invest in someone's life. And then the second one we're going to talk about today, God, use me to invite someone to life. God, use me to invest in someone's life. God, use me to invite someone to life. And last week, we talked about the story of Jesus and how he modeled that with Zacchaeus investing in someone else's life. And what he did is, remember, if you remember the story, he called Zacchaeus by name. He got close. He got personal. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be a guest in your house today. He invested in him. He gave him worth and value. And the question we asked is, what does love look like right here, right now? When you think about investing in people, we don't have to make these grandiose plans. We have to ask the question, what does love look like right here, right now, wherever you find yourself? So, you know, I began and we ended last week saying, how can you invest in people around you to really establish and affirm them to know that there's there's a foundation in that relationship and not just we're going to just invite them to church and I don't even know you've never even talked. You just have an agenda for me. No, I want to invite and invest into your life. And so we left saying, all right, who is somebody that that you're praying about? Someone that you um, want to invite for Easter, but more someone that you want to invest in. And so I thought about some of our neighbors in, in our community and that, that live around us that we've invited for different things and trying to build relationship. And, and then last Tuesday, um, I came home from, from the office and I turned the corner and what did I see but this huge pile of landscape rocks. We all know, you've been, if you've lived out here long enough, you know what that means, right? Avoid eye contact with your neighbor. That's what that means, right? Because you just hope like he's not out, you're pulling the garage, like you can't have a, your neighbor can't have a huge pile of rocks and you just kind of go, hey, what's up? How you doing? Good to see you again. And you pull into your garage and you close. No, like avoid eye contact because at least I feel that way because it feels guilty. So um, I turned the corner and I remember, I remembered, I saw that and then I remembered the big pile of rocks in my own, in, in, in my, at my own house one time. And I thought, boy, that is so daunting when you just like pull up to that, you know, a little wheelbarrow, one shovel, and it's like you've done one load, another one, you come back. It's just, it just doesn't get any smaller, the pile, right? Like 15 tons of, of rocks and, and so I, I thought about the message because, believe it or not, I'm actually a listener to my own messages. I, I, I prepare them. And I'm also subject to these same messages that I preach. And, and my first thought was, avoid the rocks. No. And then the second thought was, I'm going to have to help him. And, and in a good way, I'm, I'll, I want to help him. And, and so maybe tonight I'll grab my wheelbarrow when he comes home and, and I'll, just, I'll just help out and we'll shovel some rocks. But then I thought, I can't because we've got a small group on Tuesday night and, and, and we've got the group coming at our house. We're not going to be able to do that. And my second thought was, what if our small group, I got the guys together to say, hey, let's move some of these rocks. And I had this great idea. So um, I texted I texted the guys from the group. And I said, 
hey, tonight when you come, do you mind bringing a wheelbarrow? Do you mind bringing a shovel? And instead of group tonight, we're instead of talking about the message, what does it mean to invest in our neighbors and friends? Let's just do it. And so they, without hesitation, it was awesome. Without hesitation, you bet, you bet. And they brought their shovels. Um, Shannon texted texted the the wife that was home um, that afternoon, and she said, uh, "We've got some. Uh, you guys want some help this this evening? We've got a group of guys coming." Um, six o'clock, we can help you move some rocks. And you know what the text reply came back? Why would they do that? <laughs> it was awesome. And then she said that to us later. She said, why, why would you guys do that? And I think that's what's the beauty of when we invest in other people is just what does living love look like right here, right now? To be in the backyard and then they bought us pizza and we got to sit and have some pizza with them and interact. And, and, uh, and it's just a beautiful thing that we got to invest in that way. And again, it's not about having an agenda with anybody. It's just simply to say, what does love look like right here, right now? And the cool thing is, out of that come opportunities to continue conversation, to continue to live your life out. And when somebody says, why would you do that? Why would you invest in me? Why would you care for me? Why do you care about me? Zacchaeus wondering, Jesus, why did you invest in me? Why do you care about me? Why do you know my name? Things change and we begin to have an opportunity. And what I want to talk about today is, when we invest in someone's life, then it opens up opportunities for us to invite someone to life. Not just to invite them to church. Let's be clear, that's a step in the process. But we really need to understand what is it that we're inviting people to. We're inviting them to life. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. What does that What does that look like? And so let's have a, a word of prayer and just ask God to really give us some, some insight. And I think we're going to have one of my favorite uh, stories in Scripture that I think is a wonderful picture for the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Thank you for opportunities that our church is taking each and every day, each and every week to invest in the lives, not just of those here, God, but, but people that don't know you yet, our neighbors, our friends, co-workers, family, just to live love. And so, Father, I pray, though, today that you would really stir in our heart a strong desire and a burden to see people come to know you and come to life. Move in us, open our hearts, let us hear your truth through your word this morning. That's your prayer. Say amen. Amen means so be it. Yes. Let's go. I'm with you. All right. I want to turn to Luke chapter 14. I'm going to talk about uh, a, a large chunk of scripture in Luke chapter 14. And uh, and the reason it kept growing is because I started with one passage, but then you kind of go to context and go, well, what does this passage look in the context? And then I did that context, and I thought, well, what's the larger context? And it just got to be the whole chapter. So we're going to cover, well, the first half of the chapter at least. And while you're turning there, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever been um, left out of a cool party? Raise your hand if you ever felt left out from somebody's party. You can think back to your childhood, your teenage years, college. Even now, you know, a group is getting together. They're having a dinner party or maybe they're, they're at a ball game and they, they, they have a, a section or something and, and you, got, you were left out. You didn't get invited. Or, or somebody's having people over their house and, uh, and then, you, again, you didn't get invited. How does that feel? Well, we can all relate to that, right? You feel left out, right? You feel less valued. I'm unimportant. I'm not in. And there's this exclusion that's so easy to feel when, when that happens. And and on the other side of it, when you're part of those groups, doesn't that feel good sometimes? You're part of the group. I'm in. I'm recognized. And we don't even worry about it. It just feels great. And so what we're talking about here today is is what does it look like to have a seat at the table or to feel excluded? Now. Um, think about maybe this way. Another way to look at it is uh, when you were kids and, and somebody had a 
at a uh, dinner or a lunch, you sat at the kids' table, right? There was the adult table, which had all the nice china, the good seats, and, and then the kids' table was like some leftover um, play school plastic thing with some odd mixture of chairs, right, and, and, and whatever scraps the children could still scrounge up. The kids' table. When you're a kid, it's cool to sit at the kids' table because you don't want to be with the adults. But when you get to be about like, you know, 14, 15, 16, 25, <laughs> and you get stuck at the kids' table, how does that feel? <laughs> It's embarrassing, you know, your knees are up to your ears because you're sitting on these small chairs and you're trying to eat. But we want to be included. We want to sit at the table. We want to have a seat at the table. And what we're going to look at today in, in Luke chapter 14 is a story where Jesus is at a party. And there's a table. And there's chairs. And there's people. And there's invited guests. And I'm telling you, this is not the kind of like fancy shindig party where everything goes swimmingly well. This is an awkward, awkward situation and story all throughout. But I believe what it has to say to us is going to be really powerful and really challenging. So you ready to get, get into this uncomfortable party? An uncomfortable party at a Pharisee's house. All right, that's what we're going to that's what we're going to talk call this uh, this little party going on. So we're in Luke chapter 14. And so we're going to work our way through this. Let me get here to Luke chapter 14. It begins like this. One Sabbath day, Jesus was in the home of the leader of the Pharisees. The people were watching him closely. Because there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Interesting way to start a story, right? Let's set the context for the story here. It's the Sabbath day, which means a day of rest. And, and whose house is he in? Let's get interactive here. Let me hear you. Whose house is he in? These are easy. I'm starting easy. The Pharisees, right? Who are the Pharisees? They're the teachers of the law. They're like the hot shots. They're the ones that did everything perfect in the religious realm of, of, of Jerusalem there and in the, in the, in the Jewish culture, right? They, they tried to follow the law, the, the Mosaic law to the letter, right? To the T. They didn't want to mess anything up. And so they felt elevated. They felt privileged. And so in the house of a Pharisee, on a Sabbath day where they probably had their teaching in the temple courts, Jesus was maybe there with them. And so afterward, the leader of the Pharisees invited some people over to his house and he invited other Pharisees and other leaders of the law. And so he was having a party for kind of the the upper echelon of their society. And he also invited Jesus, which is kind of interesting. That's kind of cool. You know, Jesus ate with Pharisees. He was in the house of sinners we talked last week. And and then there's this odd person. There's a man with swollen limbs at the party. Which one of these is not like the other? All right? This is kind of an oddball thing. And it says people were watching Jesus closely. And so you already start to see something's, something's going on here. This isn't This isn't just the normal party of the Pharisees. Jesus is there, and there's some guy with, a, with an issue of swollen limbs. Some translations call it dropsy, some kind of medical condition. And so here's somebody that normally wouldn't be sitting and invited into this house. He just wouldn't be part of that group, and yet he's there and he's invited. So the Pharisees must be up to something, and Jesus is there. And it seems like they're trying to set him up for something. So we're just going to go through this next part here real quick. Here's what happens. Um, there's a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of religious law. Here comes awkward moment number one. Well, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? Now, the law was you don't do any work on the Sabbath. And even healing somebody would be considered work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is presenting them with this dilemma, but it's also good to heal. When is it not good to heal and to help somebody? So he kind of sets a little dilemma for them, which they probably wanted him to walk straight into. 
When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and then sent him away. Then he turned to them and asked, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you proceed at once to get him out? Again, they had no answer. Now, we're not going to get into all the details of this, but you can already see there's this tension between those that are on the in crowd and somebody who's on the out crowd, who is kind of there used to, to manipulate Jesus, perhaps. Jesus heals him and then probably does a kind and compassionate thing and he sends him away. You might think that's kind of rude, but he's probably going, look, they're not here with good intentions and something's about to go down. So I just don't, you don't even need to be a part of this. You're healed now. The guy's probably happy. Go and run on your non-swollen legs and limbs and, and, and go. And then he poses this question to them, and basically he calls them hypocrites, right? He says that indirectly. He says, wouldn't you, on the Sabbath day, if your son falls into a pit, you Pharisee, wouldn't you say, would you say to your son, you know what, you're going to have to wait one more day. I'll come get you after sundown, right? No, you're going to go help him. Well, aren't you working then? And there's rem, rem, uh, recollections of Jesus saying, is man made for the Sabbath or is Sabbath made for the man? Which one is serving which one? Get those things right. And he's saying, basically saying, look, you're, you're kind of hypocritical with the way you are leading and things you're doing. So that was kind of the first beginning of that. Now, they're, they're in a room, and if you've ever been in any of the Middle Eastern cultures, and even as we would do here if you have a party, maybe first you gather in a room where there's couches and people reclining and, and hanging out before dinner. And then it's time to sit at the table, right? And so the table is set. Um, we don't have it set, but this, re- this one's not set. But we're ready to sit at the table. And, and people, the guests start going towards the table. And so Jesus is now sitting back, and he's watching what's about to unfold with the Pharisees in front of them. And so what is happening in the setting is there's a, there's a seat at the table, and this is the, the head of the table, and the person that sits at the head of the table is the host. The host is the only one that has a reserved seat that everyone knows is there. The rest of the seats, well, they're kind of up for grabs. Where do you want to sit at a party like this if you want to be honored, if you want to have recognition? You want to sit by the host. These are the coveted seats, and especially in that culture, the closer you sat to the host, the higher your status was. Either because you were asked to sit there, or, or because you already came in with that status, or even if you were a lower status, if you could sit closer to the front, that may just elevate your status some. And so Jesus is watching. They're all jockeying for positions, like music, excuse, trying to get into these chairs, okay? And, and then they're trying to make their way to, to find the seat. I want to sit there, and they're fighting for it. And Jesus just kind of looks, sits back and watches what's happening. And then this, this is what he says here in verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner table were trying to sit near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Very practical stuff here. If you are invited to a wedding feast, don't always head for the best seat. What if someone more respected than you has also been invited? The host will say, let this person sit here instead then you will be embarrassed and will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Do this instead. Sit at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place than this for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For the proud will be humbled, but the humbled will be honored. So this is, again, just really practical advice for all of us. If you're at a dinner party, if you're at a wedding, if you're at somebody's house, what he's saying is, look, if you come in and you're going, the host is here, and you take your place at this seat, I got the best seat. And then the seats all fill up. But then there's somebody else in the party that maybe came a little late or maybe hasn't sat down yet. And they're, you know, and they're getting ready to sit down at the foot of the table because that's the last seat left. The host comes and he says, what are you doing at the foot of the table? Come here. You sit in the place of honor. Get out of here. What are you doing sitting in the seat? And he sends this guy back 
And what happens? Who, the person who felt proud has now been humbled because that's the foot of the table. And the other one is honored. And what Jesus is saying, let other people honor you. Put them first. Give them the better seat at the table. And then watch what happens. And so he's speaking to all the guests. Again, this is awkward, isn't it, for all the guests there? They're kind of like, um, especially for those that were all sitting up here, right? Jesus just called them out. And, and they're all sitting there, and he's just telling them, look, if you want honor, you think you're honored, you think you're in the in crowd, you think you're here, but even here you're trying to jockey for position. He never says where Jesus sat, but my guess is what seat was left when Jesus came to the table? Well, I guess all the good seats were taken. Where does Jesus sit? The foot of the table. Who is Jesus? The Son of God sits at the foot of the table among all the Pharisees. Is this, is this a picture of something that's a little bit screwy, a little backwards? But knowing who Jesus is, knowing his personality, knowing his character, Scripture tells us he took on the form of a servant, he humbled himself. It's quite fitting that Jesus would say, I'll sit at the foot of the table, and I want you to have the places of honor. So all the guests are now been kind of put in their place at some level, not that Jesus was necessarily trying to do that, but he's confronting them with their pride and their honor. Now, the only seat at the table that's uh, reserved, as I said earlier, is the host seat. And so now, you know, if it wasn't awkward enough that, that Jesus called out all the guests, he turns to his host and he's ready to put his host on the spot. This is what it says, verse 12. Then he turned to his host. If this was a like a old radio show, it would be like, dun-dun-dun. You know, like, oh boy, the host is going, here it comes, what's up now? When you put on a luncheon or a dinner, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will repay you by inviting you back. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the, ungodly, of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So now he's calling him out as well. He's saying, look, you're the host, but see, don't, you're not exempt from this because what are you doing by, depending on who you invite to the table is part of your status too. Look who I had at my party. I had X, Y, and Z at my party and my status went up. And he's saying, look, you're also just trying to be prideful and trying to build your status. Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't have dinner parties with friends or, or relatives or others. He's making a bigger point here. But what he's, what he's saying here is, Look, you're just kind of, you've got this little good old boys club going on. You've got your little religious clique going on. You've got, you've got it all figured out. You guys are all together and you're excluding a lot of people. If they're not perfect, if they're just not right, if they don't fit into your little mold, they have no part of, they have no part of you. And Jesus gives this example, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, which were considered the outcasts of society which were maybe considered to be unclean, which were considered to be unholy. Maybe maybe they did something to deserve God's punishment. Not like the rest of us sitting at the table. And so there's just this tension around this whole meal. And then you kind of get this sense of, uh, you know, and then Jesus, you know, he says, God will reward you at the resurrection. And so God begins to kind of transition it into a spiritual realm. And then there's just maybe this awkward silence. You ever been in a place, you know, where there's this, this tension and this silence? There's always got to be one person who's going to try to break the silence, right? At some point, like, somebody say something because it's kind of heavy in here. So it says this in verse 13. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. Or another translation says, what a privilege it would be just to have a bite of bread at the table of God, at the kingdom of God. 
And so now he's kind of kicked it into the into the spiritual realm. And and what he's saying is, look, isn't it great for us? This is a great party and everything, but won't it be great when we sit at the banquet at at, at the resurrection? In Scripture, this example of the banquet is all throughout, even all the way to the end of uh, in Revelation. It talks about the banquet, the wedding banquet. And so Jesus is bringing really a spiritual analogy to play here. And now he's about to get beyond just this calling them out as hypocrites and calling them out as, as prideful people. He's going to just blow their mind, and this is probably the reason Jesus was crucified, because he ticked them off with what he was about to say next. So he's like, all right, you want to talk about the feast, the kingdom of God? You want to talk about that? Let me tell you a little story. And Jesus busts into this story. Jesus replied with this illustration. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it, so he asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married, so he said he couldn't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was angry and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. After the servant had done this, he reported, There's still room for more. So the master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. He says this little dagger at the end. For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. Look, he talks about this illustration of some person uh, who's throwing a party, but what, what pronoun does he use in the last in that last verse? You guys are going, pronoun, pronoun. Oh, English class. Pronoun. I. He gets to I. Like he went from talking about this host, then in the end he says, he says I, when, you know, at the end here he says, for none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. Now he's talking about in the spiritual realm. Who did he invite first? The Jews. Who did he invite first? He invited the Israelites. He invited the Pharisees. He invited the people, the children of God in that, in that um, Hebrew community. And he's saying, look, I invited you first. But you guys are rejecting the invitation when it comes. And, and what he's saying, it, who of anyone in the Jewish community that thought they would have a seat at the table in the kingdom of heaven, it would be that group that was sitting around that table. And to that very group, Jesus said, you're not even going to get a taste of the banquet feast. Jesus rocks sometimes, you know? It's like, I mean, it's kind of mean, but it's, if you're spiteful like that, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's like he just doesn't mess around because he's saying, let's get to the heart. It's not cool that he's saying nobody's invited. That's not the issue. But what he's saying is, there is a seat for you. But you have got it backwards in how you get to the seat. And he's saying that the invitations have come. The prophets have come. The messengers have come. They've invited you because back then, when a servant came to tell you the food, the banquet was ready, that wasn't your first invitation. Your first invitation was kind of like a save the date card that we might get today that says, um, the party's coming. The wedding is coming. And when everything is ready, then we'll sell, send the servants to tell you it's time to come. So for years, the initial servants, the invitations have been going out to the people of God, to this, this uh, community, the, the, the Jewish community. But they were rejected over and over. But now Jesus came and he invited them saying, it's ready, it's to come. But they rejected and they refused. And Jesus is saying, look, you missed it then. 
if you don't come to this party, I can't do anything. We can't do anything more but invite. We can't force people to come. We can't force people to drink of the life-giving water of Christ. But if you refuse that invitation, even though you think you're high and mighty, even though you think you're religious, even though you think you've gone to the church your whole life, even though you think you've been baptized, um, I'm a good Christian, I, I go to church every week, I serve in the church, if that's your reason for thinking you're justified to have a seat at the table, that's pride. And Christ may very well reject you if you think it's because you earned it, if you think it's because you deserve it, if you think I'm good enough and you're fighting for that seat of honor. So Jesus turns the table. And in the story, we, we see it we see it switch. And now what we see is the, the two parts there. In the first part, and I think I want to make it more personal now. See, we are the ones that are already sitting at the table. If you know Jesus Christ, you've given your life to Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're struggling, if you're, but you're, you're trying to pursue Jesus, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Christ, these are the very seats that are around the table. Because when we gather as a church, you know what the communion is often referred to in some circles? It's called the table. If, if in some theological or church circles say, when we gather around the table, what that means is we gather around communion. The table represents, which we have the, the, the bread and the juice uh, over here on both sides, it represents the broken body of Christ, the blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of sin. And when Jesus invites and saying, come to the table, take a part of me, He's the host. He's the host that's inviting us to say, you can have a part of me. I'm not excluding anyone. Come. Everyone is, is, is able to, but you have to take of the bread, the broken body, and the, and the blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so when we gather as a church, we're privileged in the sense of saying, we're here to gather around the table week in and week out, to know Christ, to have him here. And it's great to have a seat at the table. And we can go, man, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad, I, you know, all those things. And that's good. And I want us to feel that. But what's so easy for us to forget, there are a bunch of people who wish they had a seat at the table. There are so many people that feel excluded from the church. There are so many people that say, if you, you talk, you guys know, you have coworkers, you have neighbors, you have friends, you have family members. Maybe some of you here this morning still feel that way and going, I'm just not one of those church people. I'm just not one of those, I'm not ready for that. I don't know. I've been burned by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. I don't get what that's all about. It's just not for me. And they don't want me there anyway. They don't want me there anyway. I wouldn't fit in. That's like the man with the swollen body. That's like the person who who in that time would go, I, I can't go to a Pharisee's house. I would just feel uncomfortable. I'm not good enough to hang with that group. And what Jesus is bringing together is this tension between those of us that have a seat at the table and the many that would love to see their name on a little card and an invitation that says, here is your seat. Ever go to a wedding? You know where they have those little, those little, those little cards, which table you sit at? Ever go to a wedding when you go to that table and you're trying to find your name and it isn't there? <laughs> it gets a little awkward. Oh yeah, we filled up. Oh, here's the last table. <laughs> I mean, there's, we want a seat at the table. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, we have got to make room at the table for others. We have got to be willing to give up the seats of honor, make space, and invite other people to come. Now, there are going to be people who refuse our invitation, just like in the story. See, we're the servants in the story now. We're the ones who are called and who are charged to say, invite people to the wedding banquet. Now, he's not talking just about a 
an actual wedding feast. He's talking about in the kingdom of heaven. When the time is done, when Christ returns, there's going to be, it's going to be like a wedding banquet. The church is his bride. Should the bride be at the wedding? Pretty important, right? <laughs> and he's saying, invite them to be part of the bride so that when we have that wedding feast, there will be many there. Invite them to life. Invite them to that. And so he sends out the servants and then he goes out and many people make excuses and they will make excuses. I know some of you have made excuses. I've made excuses. Dumb excuses. These are really stupid excuses, some of these here. I just bought a land, bought some land, but I never even looked at it. Really? You bought five oxen, you never tried them out? Doesn't matter. I mean, people come up with weird stuff. It's not your responsibility how they respond. Your responsibility is to be the messenger and to invite people to the banquet. And here's the thing, the messenger goes out, and, and, and as the messengers go out, they realize, you know what? There's, there's still room for more. Who does Jesus say? If, if, if the people you first invite don't come, Move on. You can invite again some other time, but invite people who are longing to be a part of a community that they, they don't even know that they maybe want to be a part of. You know, we're a church for people who don't like church is what we say. But I want to change that phrase a little this morning. Church is for people who don't like church. That's what this is for. And if we think we're the in club and, and next Sunday, Easter, well, that's for us Christians. How can all those people that come once a year... That's so annoying. And I'll, I'll, I'll grant you, sometimes I get so frustrated, I'm like, here we go again. Church full of people who come once a year. You know, you're not going to be back the Sunday after that. Um, you're just doing this because it's a cultural thing. You know, you're here to please your wife or your, your grandma, and, and, you know, you're uncomfortable wearing clothes you never wear. Uh, what are you doing here? And we can get into a mindset that just says, this is for us. And we like being at the table. This is our Jesus. We get to worship him. What he's saying is no, you know, if, if, we, we've got to open this thing up. We've got to go out, we've got to bring people who don't think they fit in here, who don't think they belong, who would be honored to be at this table. Now think about this contrast of who Jesus is saying we should invite. I mean, think about a, think about a gathering at the White House, right? There's a dinner that, that, that our president is, is throwing this, this great dinner, you know, this fancy White House banquets. And we typically would imagine it's all the Hollywood A-listers, right? All the power players in, in politics and in government, maybe dignitaries from around the, the world. I mean, this is a pretty intimidating place. But these folks are used to this party. Granted, it would be great. It's nice to be at the, you know, to be wined and dined. But at some level, this is what the, a lot of these folks experience all the time. Imagine how different that White House dining and banquet hall would be filled with the room of the outcasts. How do you think the feel would be of that place? How do you think that person would feel being invited? How do you think we would? We're the outcasts. Come on, let's get with it. We're never going to be at the White House. That's us. We're the dregs of we're the dregs of the United States. We're never going to hobnob in those circles, right? How excited would you be to get the invitation to get like get all gussied up and get into the White House, all the security? I'm in. I got my badge. I'm. This is me. Look at me. I got invited. We'd be posting on Facebook. I'm going to the president's house. You know. I don't even vote for the guy, but I like him anyway. I'm at the president's house, or I voted for him, and I get to support him. You know, but nobody does. Who invites people like that? They can't support. You know, they can't pay the they can't pay the uh, the contributions for the campaigns. Well, they have no value. But if a group like that comes together, what honor? What excitement? Would they care what table they sat at in that banquet hall? No, we're just glad to be there. And I think the church has this feeling. There are people who are so intimidated of what goes on in a church setting. And we try so hard to, to lower those boundaries and to, and to say, 
bring people in who are just longing for that. Maybe it's not the first person in your mind that you've been working on, but maybe it's a, a lonely neighbor down the street. Maybe it's that family member who you think would never set foot in a church who just might, through your invitation, say, all right, I'm coming. And for you to be able to say, you have a seat at the table. Absolutely. You deserve to be here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to move and give you a seat. I'm going to give you the seats of honor. You're going to sit next to me and, and, and we're going to go to church together. And so the, these servants go out and they bring in a lot of people. Now, again, who's bringing it in? The servants. Who are who are we? We're the servants. Oh, but I thought you were going to do some marketing. I'm sure it's Easter. People will just come. I hope they come. But if they come, I'm not going to talk to them because I don't know any of them. I'm just going to church with my family. This is our this is our feast. This is our banquet. These people come in and the servant says, there's still room for more. Oh, we're pretty full today. Or are we? <laughs> What's behind the curtain? You know what I was going to do today and I didn't do it? I was going to set up another hundred chairs behind that curtain today. And I was going to open up the curtain and say, do you think there's still room for more? Absolutely. Well, you know, yes, you may like the church the size that it is. Scarcely do you find a pastor, especially, that likes the church the size that it is. You know why? Because if I'm going to prepare a message, if I'm going to preach, if our band's going to play, if we're going to host, if we're going to set this place up, I'd rather have 10,000 people in here. Well, that would be kind of crazy. I'd like to have, I'd like the place to be full. If we're teaching the gospel and the good news of Christ, if we're singing and worshiping, let's share it with as many people as we can. But it's up to us to bring them in. And so the servant comes back and says, hey, there's still room for more, pastor. <laughs> we got all these seats here open. We can pull the bleachers out. We can bring lawn chairs, standing room only. Let's go. There's more people. Go, go, bring them out. And Jesus says, now go out to the highways and the byways. Go to, to the, per- just drag them in. I mean, it doesn't matter. And what he's talking about is not just going to church again. He's talking about the kingdom of God. There is room for everyone. It's by God's grace that you're invited. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve to be at this party. We're nobodies. We didn't, we don't live good enough to earn a seat at the table with Jesus Christ, who is holy, who is pure, who never sinned, who is the epitome of righteousness and goodness and purity. I'm embarrassed to sit at that table when my life were exposed. But you know what it is? It's God's grace over each and every one of us that says, yeah, you don't earn the right at this table. Not like these Pharisees thought they earned it. It's my grace. And I'm extending the invitation. Come. And that's what God is calling us. Come. And he, what did he say? So that my house will be full. God wanted his house. He wants his house to be full. He wants the party to be huge. But if you don't invite, if you don't give up your seat of privilege, if you just want to keep it us four and no more, we're done. We're sunk and we're missing the epitome of the gospel, which is to give freely what we've been given, to invite lavishly and to bring others to Christ. I showed this uh, video last week. And I know some of you didn't get to see it. I just want us to, to, to watch this video again as a reminder of what I believe God is maybe calling us to do. going to be full. It's always full. On Easter, it's always full. And it'll be the same in your church, I promise. 
It'll be full. It'll be full of people like me, full of people who haven't been to church in a while, full of people who think they might be critiqued or analyzed or judged unfairly, full of people who don't have God in their lives and aren't exactly sure how to get him back. But you know what? Before I step in, I need you. I need you to do something that's probably a big deal for you. You're going to see me this week. And I need you not to walk past me. And I need you to work through your fear because I'm working through mine. And I just just need you to invite me in. And if I act like I'm not interested in going to church with you, still, I need you to ask me to come. I need you to help me see God. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. I need you more than you know. Because look, at the end of the day, God said he loved me enough to die for me. I mean, that is the claim, right? And if he died and he didn't stay dead, your church is going to be full this Easter. Your church could be full this Easter of people just like me. Different face, different skin color, different age, sex, or social status. But make no mistake, I could be sitting right next to you. Just need you to invite me in, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And nothing complicated. And nothing driven by guilt. Just invite me in. I need you to. I really do. job as servants is to invite others in. You know, this last week it was, uh, I've been trying to, and been inviting some folks for Easter already yesterday at a, at a party, somebody that I had, and I happened to already have one of these cards with me, and so I was able to give it to them. And um, it was funny, I was at the YMCA uh, this past week, and, and I took my daughter, one of my daughters swimming, and uh, as I was sitting out by the, by the pool um, with her, one of the people that works at the YMCA that I've known for a lot of years, and kind of building a friendship with in different ways, and he came by, and, and uh, I said hey to him, and he said, oh, by the way, he goes, because I'm going to be at your church, uh, I think I'm going to come to your church on Easter, I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> that's the way to do inviting, right, you just get ready to invite them, he's already says he's he's coming, and I said, oh, really, and he said, yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm kind of searching, and, and just really need to get faith back in my life, and he goes, and, and yeah, the person that works here, who, uh, your daughter, <laughs> Fancy, is the lifeguard there, said she, he, um, she invited him. He said, she invited me to come to your church for Easter. I'm like, man, she's already, she's already breaking the curve. She's, uh, I didn't even get to talk about the invitation part yet, and she already went ahead and did that. So, that's awesome. And it just goes to show that somebody who's maybe been waiting, there's been an investment that's been there for a while, but if we just simply say, hey, will you, will you come with me? Why not invite them? And, and you have these cards, and, and they say you're invited. And I want you to think about who it is 
that needs to have this card in their hand, but not just the card that you hand off, that you personally, like we talked about last week, by name, you invite someone and say, will you come with me? Sit with me. Let's go out to dinner afterward. Come with me to church. You know what I want to promise you? I want to promise you that I'm going to share the gospel next week. Because it's not just about inviting people to church. It's about inviting them to life. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about second chances. We're going to talk about life that comes from Christ. And if you have a friend or a family member that needs to hear that message, please bring them next week. I promise you I will not embarrass them. I promise you our teams, we're meeting today with our team leaders again to create the best environment that we can, the best worship, the best that we have to offer, not just for them, but to our Lord, but to to create the, the message uninhibited in the lives of people around us. We want to partner in this together. You do your part. We do our part. Let's invite people together. And together, let's be the church next week that with open arms invites people to the table that says, you belong here, you have a place here, and we're going to make room for you. Will you do that? In the story, the the servants were sent out a second time. You know that, right? (laughs) If it's not full, we're not having worship. I'm going to go out. we got to go out. Go out to Walmart. Go behind Walmart. (laughs) Bring them in. (laughs) That's what it says. We can do this. But, you know, tonight, uh, today, this morning as we close, um, I'd, I'd like us to stand. And I want you to really think, and maybe even as you symbolically have stood here to empty your chair, to make room for somebody else. Maybe you pray in your seat, in your spot there to say, who is this person that you want to invite? Maybe you attribute a name to this card. We have the candles over here to my left and your right, and and maybe you go and you light a candle to symbolize the person who needs Christ and who you want to bring that light of Christ to, and you start praying for them this week already. That God would give an openness to receive your invitation. That God would uh, give you the courage, the confidence, some, the genuineness in your spirit to just invite somebody to come with you and, and watch what God can do, that you can be utilized by God to bring somebody into a life-changing relationship with Him. But this morning, I ask you, do you have a seat at the table? Right now, maybe you're just observing, but do you have a seat at the table? Because God has given you that invitation. And the way you get that seat at the table is for you to accept the invitation from Christ. And maybe today, for the first time, you take communion as a way of acknowledging before God, I accept what you did for me on the cross, that your body was broken for me, that your blood was spilled out for the forgiveness of my sins. And only because of your grace, I just accept it. I want to be your child. I want to have a seat at the table. And I want to bring others. And maybe today, you make sure that this Easter is your Resurrection Sunday, and it begins today. So respond as you see fit. The band's going to come up and, and close us here in a time of uh, reflection for a little bit and then a, a song that just reminds us of the kingdom that God is wanting to build through us during this time. So let's pray. And then I just encourage you to move. I actually have some of these little invites even by those little candles there. And if you need to take extras or want to light a candle and take one to symbolize that, do that. Take communion. Kneel and pray for somebody. Make this your time to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time this morning. I love the story today. Because it's just a story that reminds us that your table is open to all because of your grace. Jesus, I love this story. 
because you want your house to be full. And so, Father, may we be challenged today to do our part, to open our mouths, to engage our hands and feet, to bring people into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and respond how you need to.